Chapter Sixteen of Annals of a Quiet Neighborhood. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. Annals of a Quiet Neighborhood by George MacDonald. Chapter Sixteen the organ one little matter i forgot to mention as having been talked about between dr duncan and myself that same evening i happened to refer to old rogers what a fine old fellow that is said dr duncan indeed he is i answered he is a great comfort and help to me i don't think anybody but myself has an idea what there is in that old man the people in the village don't quite like him, though, I find. He is too ready to be down upon them when he sees things going amiss. The fact is, they are afraid of him. Something as the Jews were afraid of John the Baptist, because he was an honest man, and spoke not merely his own mind, but the mind of God in it. Just so. I believe you're quite right. Do you know, the other day, happening to go into Weir's shop to get him to do a job for me, I found him and old rogers at close quarters in an argument i could not well understand the drift of it not having been present at the beginning but i soon saw that keen as ware was and far surpassing rogers in correctness of speech and precision as well the old sailor carried too heavy metal for the carpenter it evidently annoyed ware but such was the good humor of rogers that he could not for very shame lose his temper the old man's smile again and again, compelling a response on the thin cheeks of the other. "'I know how he would talk exactly,' I returned. "'He has a kind of loving banter with him, if you will allow me the expression, that is irresistible to any man with a heart in his bosom. I am very glad to hear that there is anything like communion begun between them. Where will get good from him?' "'My man of all work is going to leave me. I wonder if the old man would take his place.' i do not know whether he is fit for it but of one thing you may be sure if old rogers does not honestly believe he is fit for it he will not take it and he will tell you why too of that however i think i may be a better judge than he there is nothing to which a good sailor cannot turn his hand whatever he may think himself you see mr walton it is not like a routine trade things are never twice the same at sea the sailor has a thousand chances of using his judgment if he has any to use and that old rogers has in no common degree so i should have no fear of him if he won't let me steer him you must put your hand to the tiller for me i will do what i can i answered for nothing would please me more than to see him in your service it would be much better for him and his wife too than living by uncertain jobs as he does now the result of it all was that old rogers consented to try for a month but when the end of the month came nothing was said on either side and the old man remained and i could see several little new comforts about the cottage in consequence of the regularity of his wages now i must report another occurrence in regular sequence to my surprise and i must confess not a little to my discomposure when i rose in the reading desk on the day after this dinner with dr duncan i saw that the hall pew was full miss oldcastle was there for the first time and by her side the gentleman whom the day before i had encouraged on horseback he sat carelessly 
easily, contentedly, indifferently, for, although I never that morning looked up from my prayer-book, except involuntarily in the changes of posture, I could not help seeing that he was always behind the rest of the congregation, as if he had no idea of what was coming next, or did not care to conform. Gladly would I, that day, have shunned the necessity of preaching that was laid upon me. But, I said to myself, shall the work given me to do fare ill because of the perturbation of my spirit? No harm is done, though I suffer, but much harm if one tone fails of its force because I suffer. I therefore prayed God to help me, and feeling the right, because I felt the need of looking to him for aid, I cast my care upon him, kept my thoughts strenuously away from that which discomposed me, and never turned my eyes towards the hall pew from the moment I entered the pulpit, and partly, I presume, from the freedom given by the sense of irresponsibility for the result, I being weak and God strong, I preached, I think, a better sermon than I had ever preached before. But when I got into the vestry, I found that I could scarcely stand for trembling, and I must have looked ill, for when my attendant came in, he got me a glass of wine without even asking me if I would have it, although it was not my custom to take any there. But there was one of my congregation that morning who suffered more than I did from the presence of one of those who filled the hall pew. I recovered in a few moments from my weakness, but altogether disinclined to face any of my congregation, went out at my vestry door, and home through the shrubbery, a path I seldom used, because it had a separatist look about it. When I got to my study, I threw myself on a couch and fell fast asleep. How often in trouble have I had to thank God for sleep, as for one of his best gifts, and how often, when I have awake refreshed and calm, have I thought of poor Sir Philip Sidney, who, dying slowly and patiently in the prime of life and health, was sorely troubled in his mind to know how he had offended God, because, having prayed earnestly for sleep, no sleep came in answer to his cry. I woke just in time for my afternoon service, and the inward peace in which I found my heart was to myself a marvel and a delight. I felt almost as if I was walking in a blessed dream, come from a world of serener air than this of ours. I found, after I was already in the reading-desk, that I was a few minutes early, and while, with bowed head, I was simply living in the consciousness of the presence of a supreme quiet. The first low notes of the organ broke upon my stillness with the sense of a deeper delight. Never before had I felt, as I felt that afternoon, the triumph of contemplation in Handel's rendering of I know that my Redeemer liveth, and I felt how through it all ran a cold, silvery quiver of sadness, like the light in the east after the sun has gone down, which would have been pain, but for the golden glow of the west, which looks after the light of the world with a patient waiting. Before the music ceased, it had crossed my mind that I had never before heard that organ utter itself in the language of Handel but I had no time to think more about it just then, for I rose to read the words of our Lord, I will arise and go to my father. There was no one in the hall pew, indeed it was a rare occurrence if anyone was there in the afternoon, but for all the quietness of my mind during that evening service, I fell ill before I went to bed, and awoke in the morning with a headache, which increased along with other signs of perturbation of the system, until I thought it better to send for Dr. Duncan. I have not yet got so imbecile as to suppose that a history of the following six weeks would be interesting to my readers, for during so long did I suffer from low fever, and more weeks passed during which I was unable to meet my flock. Thanks to the care of Mr. Brownrigg, a clever young man in priest's orders, 
was living at Addishead while waiting for a curacy, kindly undertook my duty for me, and thus relieved me from all anxiety about supplying my place. End of chapter 16 Recording by Greg Giordano Newport Ritchie, Florida